Hello, and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We live in a very brand-conscious age, and brands extend not just to companies or products, but even to ourselves. Have you ever thought about God's brand? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series, The Ten Commandments, with this sermon entitled, Bearing the Name of the Lord, which covers Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's read aloud together this prayer. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant us all that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness. To your praise and honor, through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Over the years, there's a question that, um, that I've asked often to people that I'm meeting with in lunch meetings or coffee or whatever. And uh, all the way back to the first probably year or so on staff, uh, with a campus ministry, I, I would ask this question, and it was just an easy question, uh, uh, a, a question that felt very approachable for those who I was meeting with to be able to answer, and it was simply this, what's your spiritual background? It's a great lead-in question just to hear them express, well, you know, either I don't have a spiritual background, or yeah, I, I, you know, I've been to church, or I grew up in this religion, or whatnot. Now, most of my, actually all of my ministry for 23 years has been in, uh, in the South, and all those years doing campus ministry were on campuses in the South, and of course now here at this church, we're in Atlanta, and, and so the, the most common answer, now this is changing a little bit as we get more into the 21st century, but the most common answer that I would get is that I'm Christian, being in the heart of the Bible, bed, Bible Belt as we are, but... Um, as I mentioned, is the more I ask this question, the more I'm getting different responses as a, you know, I was not in church or whatever. But by and large, that was the answer. And with that answer, I would ask a follow-up question. And I would just simply say, okay, when you've been to church in the past, what do you think the main point is? What is it that when you show up to a church service, what is it that the, the preacher up there, whoever, is trying to get you to most understand? And by, uh, by far and away, I mean, I would think in the 90 percentile, if not higher, the most common answer I get is something along the lines of, be a good person and do the right things. Be a good person and do the right things. This is the way in which most people, even church attenders, understand Christianity to be. I know I, I thought that for a long, long time, and perhaps that was your story as well. And maybe some of you are, are in here now, watching online, and you would say, yes, that's even what I still think. And I'm curious to hear what you're going to say next, because is that not what it is? Be a good person, do the right things. In many ways, we approach Christianity in a way that could be summed up best, perhaps, in the saying that you might have heard many times before. I know I first heard it when I was younger, and that was, uh, don't drink don't smoke, don't chew, don't cuss, don't run with people who do, you know, that kind of thing. 
I, I think I messed it up. Don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, or run with people who do, or date girls that do, date guys that do, that kind of thing. And, and we think, okay, it's mostly based on behavior. And not just any behavior. It's actually, I just need to make sure that I do the right things that, uh, that are most vile in, you know, in culture. The ones that culture looks down upon the most, I just need to be right in those areas, and the rest aren't really even in view. So our approach to our understanding of Christianity is very, very moralistic and behavior-driven, that this is what God is most concerned about. And many would even say, wow, well, isn't that what the Ten Commandments are about? Like, the Ten Commandments are about God just giving us rules that would change our behavior, and we just need to work harder and do better to, to get that behavior in line with what God desires. And so we align our lives to that. Do the right thing in the right way at the right time to appease the right people and ultimately to appease God. Now, what I'm here to tell you is this. It's not Christianity. And it's not what the Bible teaches. And it's not what the Ten Commandments teach. Of course, on the surface, we can read the Ten Commandments and absolutely apply them at a surface level, at a behavioralistic level. But the main reason that we've titled this sermon series on the Ten Commandments, the, the main reason we've titled it the heart of God for the, uh, for the people of God is because, or, or the heart of God for the, the heart of man is because it's all about the heart. God has never been, from the beginning of the pages of Scripture all the way to the end and throughout human history, he hasn't been concerned primarily with our behavior. Does it matter? Sure, it matters, but that's not where his greatest concern. He most cares about our heart. One way to think about it is this. What God is chasing after, what he is pursuing, is holistic change in us from the inside out, from the heart out to the behavior. We typically call that, one of the ways that we can talk about that is holistic transformation, spiritual holistic transformation. But we often approach religiosity and Christianity, we, we often approach it as mere behavior modification. Let me just get better and get right in my actions, and then I'll feel better about my life, and then I will convince myself that God, God is pleased with me. The Ten Commandments can certainly be approached that way. It can be something that, uh, that we treat very, very outward in. And so in this third commandment that we're in this morning, after covering the last first commandment and the second commandment the last two weeks, it's tempting. In fact, it's common that we would read this commandment and misinterpret it and misapply it at a level that we need to go much deeper in its application, in its understanding and its application. This third commandment, we find it in Exodus 20, verse 7, says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Here's the most common approach to this, to this commandment. Not too unlike last week, where last week I said, you know, it's easy to try to pick out the commandments that you know at the surface level, or at least at the behavioralistic level, I mean, I've got this one. I can check it off and move on. You know, last week it was carved images and go, okay, I don't think I have any carved images in my house that I'm bowing down to, so let's move on. And we learned in that study of that commandment, that it goes much deeper than that to the heart level, and that we're all offenders of the second commandment. 
It's very similar with this third commandment. We can, we can easily put a check mark next to this one and say, well, okay, um, I, I think as best as I can, I do a good job with not taking the Lord's name in vain because how do we typically apply this? We typically apply it as, well, don't say God's name, don't scream God's name when you're about to run into the back of the car in front of you and slam on your brakes. Don't cuss and definitely don't cuss with God's name involved. Don't invoke the name of God in spells or in incantations or oaths even. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, our application of this text, of this commandment, is almost always dealing with our speech, what we're saying. But interestingly, when you look at this in the original language, it actually says nothing about our speech. It includes our speech. It's not less than that, but it's so much more. In the third commandment, God is concerned not just about what we say regarding his name, but who we are as his name bearers. Let me say that again. In the third commandment, God is not as concerned about what we say regarding his name as he is about who we are as those who bear his name. And that's the first thing that I want you to take away. I'm going to give you three things to take away from this text. The first one is this. We are carriers of God's name. We are carriers of God's name. Uh, just a quick little caveat here, just so I'll give credit where it's due. So much of how I'm teaching this and the way that we're approaching this, uh, I'm taking from uh, Carmen Imes' wonderful book, Bearing God's Name. We have some copies in the bookstore, but we'll probably sell, sell out of those pretty quickly. You can order it on Amazon. She did her dissertation on this one verse, and it's now in book form in that, in that book, God, Bearing God's Name. And so her insight was invaluable here. And with that, she draws out, in the very few first few pages of this book, she draws out what the original Hebrew meant in this verse. I've told you before, if you've been around uh, Perimeter for any length of time, I've mentioned at times that the English language is very lacking in its ability to translate ancient words, uh, particularly from Hebrew, but also from Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. And in the original language, this is what this verse says in Hebrew. It says, you shall not, here it is, lift up or carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. You can also say bear, that we're bearing God's name. But it's lift up or carry. So that word take that is in almost every one of our English translations, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That word take is the Hebrew word nasah. It's easy to remember that word because it's spelled just like NASA, N-A-S-A. And not only that, but even the meaning of that word makes you think of, you know, rockets lifting up. Because the, the translation of that Hebrew word is to lift up, to carry. And so the way that we can read this verse is, you shall not lift up or carry the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what does that mean Exactly. Well, like I said a moment ago, it means a whole lot more than just what we say. It's much more holistic than that. Let me give you some context. I want you to stay with me on this. It's going to feel like I'm going off on a bit of a rabbit trail. You're going, you might say, why is he going there? But Lord willing, hopefully, it'll come back full circle and it'll help us understand exactly what's happening here in this commandment. 
So one of the things, Sinai, one of the things that gives us context is Sinai in general. Like what happened on Mount Sinai with Moses in the presence of God and God giving him the commandments, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. God gave him all kinds of commandments and all kinds of, uh, of instructions while he was up there. And one of the things that he gave him can be found in Exodus chapter 28 and in Exodus 38. And it has to deal with how Aaron, the high priest for God's people, how he should dress. Interesting. Listen to what he says in verse 29 of chapter 28 of Exodus. He says, Aaron shall bear, there's that Hebrew word, Nassah, he shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So a little more context is there's a tabernacle that God has instructed his people to build. And this tabernacle that would eventually be a permanent dwelling in Jerusalem called the temple, but for now it's a tent as God's people are nomadic in the wilderness. But this tabernacle has different degrees of entrance to it. And the most central place of the taber- tabernacle is the Holy of Holies, the holy place. And this is where God's spirit dwelt among his people. And only the high priest, at this time Aaron, the first high priest, only Aaron can go into the Holy of Holies. Only Aaron can go into the holy place, but he has to be dressed a very specific, down-to-the-detail way. And not only does he have to be dressed a certain way, he has to go through a, a myriad of cleansing rituals before that he can go into the holy of holies. Why? Because, here's key word, don't miss this, he's representing the people. He's representing the people before God. And what does it tell us that he's to do? Well, it says that he is to bear their names. And so he would literally wear in in necklace form or in uh, some type of a fixated piece on his chest. It was this uh, breastplate of sorts that had the 12 names of Israel written across it, each represented with a different type of rock or diamond or gem, something that was beautiful across his chest. And when he would go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people of God, he would represent their sins and make sacrifice for them. And God would give forgiveness based upon his representation as he bore their names. Now, what's interesting is he didn't just bear their names. Because as we read in Exodus chapter 28, he also bore God's name, literally on his forehead. Look what it says. It says in verse, I'm sorry, in in chapter 38, it says, It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, and they they may be accepted before the Lord. What is it? It shall be. It shall be. It's the name of God. Literally on a piece of gold that was, you don't want to say crown, but it was some type of big gold plate that he would somehow fix fix it to his forehead, and it would read Yahweh. The name of God, the unspeakable name of God. They wouldn't pronounce his name, but it was there. He was, in other words, he was representing, yes, the people before God, but he was also representing God before the people. And so there was this rhythm of Aaron as one who had the name of God on his forehead and the names of Israel, the tribes of Israel on his chest. There was this rhythm of going in and coming out, going in before the Lord representing the people, coming out before the people representing God. 
And it's in this context that God gives this commandment. It's in this context that God says, you shall not bear my name. You shall not carry my name in vain. What is vain? Well, vain is probably best translated ineffective. You shall not carry my name ineffectively. Tease it out a little bit, and it just means we shall not carry his name in a way that would misrepresent him. So Aaron's responsibility before the people was to carry the name of God in a way that represented him to the people. That they would see what's in a name. Well, it's the character. It represents who God is. So they would see the character of God in the name that was on the forehead of Aaron. And he would represent that well among his people, but also among the nations. Also, that he would bear the name of the Israelites and represent them before God. And all of their sin and all of their shortcomings. Now, I want you to understand that. Because you may hear that and go, well, that's cool. But that was for Aaron. That was for the Israelites. That was for those many, 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 many centuries ago. How does that apply to us today? Well, I want you to understand that what happened at the very beginning of the Sinai account, when Moses first went up on that mountain, God said something really interesting in Exodus 19. Verse 6, he said this. And he says, this is to all of Israel, to all of his people. He says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. You go, okay, what's the point there? Well, the point there is this. What Aaron represents is the holy high priest. He then says to all the people, you are to be a kingdom of priests, meaning you're to, you are to be like Aaron. You're not going to walk around with the name of God literally written on your forehead in gold, and you're not going to walk around with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on your chest, but you are to be like him. You're to be like Aaron, you are a holy priesthood, kingdom, to represent me, to carry my name, to bear my name among the nations. And so do so in an effective way. Don't misrepresent me. My name is upon you. He also says in chapter 19, verse 5, he calls, and he says it again in Deuteronomy 7, 6 in the same account. He calls the people of God, not just Aaron, but the people of God that he represents, he calls them his treasured possession. In other words, he's marked them out for himself. He's put his name upon them. They bear his name, and he says, you are mine. I, you are marked out. You are my treasured possession. We go, okay, help me connect the dots here. Well, maybe this helps. I want you to think about it this way. As my kids have gotten older, it's only natural that they would ask things based on what others are getting. Well, so-and-so got to do this. Why don't I get to do it? Well, so-and-so got a, a phone when they were this age. Why don't I get a phone when, when I'm that age? So-and-so got to wear this. Why don't I get to wear it? So-and-so got to, you know, so on and so forth. And one of the responses I've given over the years that my kids just absolutely love when I give it is, um, as I'll say, can you tell me, tell me the last name of, of who you're talking about? Oh, Dad. No, no, no. Tell me the last name. I, why? Just tell me the last name. Smith. 
Okay, you know what's interesting about that is you didn't say Norris. <laughs> they don't bear my name. They're not my treasured possession. I'm not raising them. I haven't marked them out as mine. So don't come at me about what they get to do. I don't, I'm, I'm not parenting them. I'm parenting you. You are my treasured possession. You bear my name. So don't misrepresent me. Now, here's the thing. If they do misrepresent me and Rachel, it's not a huge deal because we're not all that great. They're only, they're only misrepresenting the name of Norris. We can deal with that. It happens all the times with kids. We're talking about the name of God. We're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about the king of the universe. We're talking about the one who is almighty God incomparable among any other God we might fashion. By the way, a dad in the 9 o'clock sent me a text after the sermon, and he said, uh, he showed me a screenshot of one of his children who had, one of his teenage kids who had sent him a text and said, you're going to use the last name thing with me now, aren't you? (laughs) He said, absolutely. Um, But hopefully that helps connect dots, because who are we? We're the people of God. This is so much more than just yelling God's name before we have a fender bender. This is so much more than cussing. This is who we are in our being, representing the God of the universe the world at large. This is us among the nations. This is God through us among the nations. Where we live, work, and play, and go, and do life, we are bearing the name of God. And we are to not take his name in vain. Yes, in the way that we speak, sure. Again, it's not less than that, but in the way that we are. To be different, to be set apart, to where when people see us, engage with us, hear from us, watch us, they go, that's different. I'm not sure what to do with that. But it's intriguing. Your life simultaneously condemns others, but yet at the same time invites them into something greater is those who bear the name of God. Secondly, we are profaners of God's name. We bear his name, but we do bear it poorly. That's just the hard reality. We are just like Israel. God said to Israel in Ezekiel 36, many centuries later, where they had time and time and time again through the generations. They had uh, carried the name of God very ineffectively. And so he says to them in the context of their exile in Babylon, he says, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am God. Again, you might be tempted to say, well, that was them. It's not me. That's not us. Well, I want want us to understand that, again, what's good biblical theology? Well, we understand that we inherit Adam's residue. 
the residue of Adam in us, meaning that when Adam sinned, we inherit his sin, yes, but we inherit his heart as well in the way in which we want to act and react to God's presence in our lives. Do you remember what happened in, in Genesis 3 when sin first came into the world? Uh, immediately, Adam profaned the name of the Lord. I'll tell you in a moment just how he did that. But we're just like Adam, we're just like Israel in that we profane God's name. How might we do that? Let me give you a few examples that you might not naturally think of. These, I take these categories from Alistair Begg who uh, laid them out in his wonderful book, Pathway to Freedom. First one he gives us is this, in our thinking. How do we profane the name of the Lord? In our thinking. Begg writes this, he says, the way in which we think about God in the privacy of our own thoughts is really the measure of our commitment to this third commandment. Whoa. Man, the standard just got raised a little bit. I've heard it said that the most important thought you will ever think is what you think when you think about God. Because it shapes absolutely everything else about who you are. What you think when you think about God is the most important thought you will ever think. How might we profane God's name in our thinking? How do we perceive of him? How do we view him? Go back and listen to last week's sermon as we talked about that very thing, is that we have wrong views of God, and therefore, because we see him incorrectly, because we understand him incorrectly, we can actually break the third commandment in the way that we profane him because we don't approach him as he is. Secondly, in our praying, in our prayers, we can blame God for our own sins, can we not? This, too, is a breaking of the third commandment. I mean, let's go back to Adam. What did he do in the garden when God came to him and said, Adam, what is this that you have done? What did he do? Well, in a sense, in his prayer, he's talking to God. He profaned God's name. Why? Because he blamed God. I mean, he blamed Eve, but he blamed God. He said, it wasn't me. It was this woman that you gave me. We can do the same, can we not? let Let me give you examples. God, it's not, it's not really me and my anger. It's this job that you've given me. I wouldn't be angry if you would just give me a better job. It's really God's fault. We're taking his name in vain in our prayers. God, it's, I wouldn't be so angry and impatient and jealous. If you, it's, just, it's not me. It's this wife or this husband that you have. It's this spouse that you've given me. If you would just have given me a different spouse or if you would just give me a better one. Profaning the name of God. And so on and so forth. How do we pray to God? Third, in our speaking. I've said it numerous times. It's not less than this. Of course, it involves our speaking, but it's more holistic than that. But let's think about our speech. Jen Wilkin gives us three categories to think through that are helpful in this arena. She, she first talks about that. Here's an example of how we can do this. We can play the God card. We've all done this, by the way. Playing the God card is using God's name to get out of something that we don't want to do or into something that we do want to do. How many of you, at some point in your life, were broken up with by a girlfriend or boyfriend because they said, God told me to do it? And you knew that wasn't true. God didn't want you to break up with me. You just didn't want to date me. Just say it. Right? Or, or how many times we say, how many times we say things like, well, you know, hold on, you know when someone asks you to do something, you know you don't want to do it, but you'll go, I'll pray about it. I'm not going to pray about it. Let me see what God says about it. You don't talk to God about it. You just know you don't want to do it, but you, you play the God card. That's, that's, you, that's taking the names, name of the Lord in vain. We can, uh, second category she gives is lip service to God. 
when we approach a moral code that we ourselves do not strive to uphold. And I'll just let Wilkins speak on this one. She says this. She says, this is the parent who requires her child to apologize to her, but who never apologizes for her, for her own missteps. It is the mentor who dispenses godly wisdom to a younger believer that he has not himself learned to employ. It is the woman singing praise songs at the top of her lungs, eyes closed and hands extended, who has not cracked open her Bible in months. It is the man who prays publicly with great piety and eloquence, but whose private prayer life is non-existent. It is the greeter at the front door of the church, smiling broadly and shaking hands, who earlier that morning berated his family for being slow to, the, to get in the car. It is the preacher who exhorts others to repent while himself harboring an unrepentant heart. And you're thinking right now, man, I wish he hadn't read that. It's irreverence to God. Irreverence to God. This is when we approach God as though he's our bro. It was a saying when I was coming through college that got real popular. Uh, you saw it on t-shirts everywhere. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is not your daddy God. That's a bad translation of Abba Father. God is the God of the universe, almighty and powerful. Yes, he has condescended to be an intimate friend of ours as well as Savior, but he is still to be revered and lifted up. We honor him in our speech. The last category that Beg gave us to think through is in our walking. It's just all-encompassing. Listen to Micah 6, uh, 4, uh, verse 5. He says, all the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Whose name do you walk in? Daily life? Is it, your, is it your own name? Is it the name of God? Here's the hope. Here's the good news. We are hallowers of God's name. We are hallowers of God's name. We prayed it just in this service. We prayed the, the Lord's Prayer. And what do we what do we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Hallow is the opposite of profane. It's, it's taking what has been profaned and, and making it holy, sanctifying it. So Jesus committed himself fully and completely to hallowing the name of the Lord, hallowing the name of the Father. His whole life, not just in, on earth, but all of eternity, is to give glory and honor and holiness and praise to carry the name of God upon him as the Son of God, as holy and set apart and worthy. And so everything in the Christian life, don't miss this, everything about Christianity comes back to our union with Jesus. Because we cannot keep the third commandment. We can't. There's only one who perfectly kept this third commandment. There's only one who never profaned the name of the Lord. There's only one who always kept the name of the Lord, uh, bore the name of God perfectly and carried it perfectly everywhere he went in every aspect of his life. There's only one. There's only one who did what even Aaron couldn't do. Because the only way you and I can keep this commandment, the only way that we can become people who don't profane the name of the Lord but hallow the name of the Lord is to be united to one who is the true and better Aaron. Because even Aaron didn't do this perfectly. Because think about Jesus. 
Remember how we talked about Aaron, how Aaron would go in before the people and out before the people, and that he would carry the name of the tribes of Israel on his chest and the name of the Lord on his forehead, right? And that he would go into the only place that the high priest would go and make atonement as the representative of those people and as the one who bore the name of God upon him as a representative of God to those people. Who's Jesus? As Tim Keller would say, he's the true and better Aaron who doesn't have to keep going into the Holy of Holies, but through the cross and his resurrection, went into the Holy of Holies once and tore the veil. And what did he do? He bore our names, as it were, our sin upon his chest. And he wore, the, he wore a different crown, not with the name of God, but the king of the Jews above his head and the crown of thorns on his forehead to receive the curse that even Aaron couldn't receive for us. And it wasn't to be made over and over and over again, but it was once and for all. He represented us and he represents God to us. And who are we to be? You remember what he told the Israelites? He says, you are holy people. You're a kingdom of priests. Be like Aaron. Watch what he does in his representative dress and Live like him. You're a priest like him. You don't, you're not going to wear the gold name. You're not going to wear the breastplate. But you're a priest. Bear my name unto my glory. Well, who are we? Who are we? What we have is so much better than what the Israelites and Aaron have because we have the perfect high priest and we have been united to him. And in his perfect sacrifice is the one who bore his sins upon his chest. Is the perfect son of God. We get to be hallowers of God's name. We get to bear God's name. We get to carry God's name. And we can actually do it now because Christ is in us. He gives us the ability to hallow the name of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. This is to the church. This isn't to Israel. It's to the church. Believers in Jesus, he says this. Same language almost is Exodus 19. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, treasured possession of God. And when Jesus comes back, when it's all said and done and we're standing in glory with Christ, what will it be like? Well, there's a lot of ways we can answer that question, but we get a picture of it in Revelation 14. Listen to this. It says, then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai, because Sinai has been fulfilled. Now it's the conquering king of Zion, taking his rightful throne. It's the Lamb of God. It's Jesus. Stood the Lamb on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. Don't get caught up in the number. That just represents us, the people of God, the royal priesthood. It says, and with him who had his name, the people, had his name and his father's name. Where? written on their foreheads. I want you to think about it like this. When you, when you believe upon Christ, it's as if God tattoos your forehead with his name, purchased, possession of God, Yahweh, Lord of Lord, King of Kings, set apart, treasured possession, priesthood, holy, mine. And he puts that on your forehead, but you can't see it. Imagine that it's invisible ink. And on the day of consummation, when Jesus returns, it's as if he's going to shine a black light on your forehead. And you're going to see all that. 
And you go, that's me the whole time. The whole time I was here on earth, that's what I was. That's who I am. This is who I represent. I carry the name of God everywhere I go. It's not just about cussing. It's about bearing the name of God most high in the person of Jesus to every single person we encounter, every place that we go unto his glory until the day that we stand before him and we see it. And we say, yes, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Father, help us to that end. Help us to that end. Give us the ability to carry your name in a way that glorifies you. And we will certainly misstep and we will not do that well at times. Probably more often than not. But Lord, we... We run to you, O oh Jesus, the true and better Aaron who does it perfectly in our place and who gives us the power to obey this command more and more and more until we're with you in glory. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us your treasured possession. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.